Hello and welcome to a new episode of Open Us, the podcast about openness to new experiences. I'm Professor T, and with me, as always, is the Hardy to my Laurel, the Aunt Chums to my Harry Enfield, and the Deacon Batista to my Reverend Devon. Of course, it's none other than Dr. Toomey. How are you doing this evening, Toomey? I am very good, and thank you for opening my mind to those obscure um, references about dynamic duos. Yes. I don't think we're quite in the uh, the kind of level of Harry Enfield and Chums, but as a duo, we are maybe getting there. Well, we've probably reached Reverend Devon status, and that's a deep cut of WWE 2002 for anyone who's interested. Um, Yes, that's an obscure reference, and that's probably more appropriate to what we are right now. We're very obscure podcasts. Okay, so let us progress with episode uh, two, although we're not going to number them this time, but I've just done it, so what are we going to do about that? Tough shit. Um, Well, episode seven. Okay, episode nine. Uh, Just to confuse them, yeah. Right, so this is a new episode, and last time we discussed... uh, an introduction to our new podcast, our new venture in podcasting. We explained the background about why we're doing a new podcast and what the topic is, so there's no need to go over that again. But the basic premise is that we're going to do something new every single week when you listen to us, and then we're going to follow up on the next episode about our report, our review, our feedback, our thoughts and our opinions about the task or the um, the thing we've done since the last time and this time we decided to read a science fiction classic because as we discussed neither of us had ever read any science fiction novels so why not start with something like that that we'd never done before and the book we chose to do was The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Yes indeed and just so uh, the listener if there is any listeners is fam- is not familiar with that uh, book I have a, a brief summary of The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells which I may go into. Yes Okay, so this will be a plot summary, which will take about one minute. So strap right in and and listen, I suppose. In The Invisible Man, a mysterious man comes to Iping Village in the middle of a snowstorm. He checks into an inn, owned and run by a husband and wife, Georgian Janny Hall, asks not to be bothered at all, and goes to his room with his luggage. This man is Griffin, a scientist who spends his days in his room fussing about his chemicals and his formulas. Griffin does not go outside at night, however, completely bandaged up and wearing a fake nose. The villagers find him very peculiar, especially since weird break-ins and robberies start happening in the village. Things come to a head when Janny Hall asks him to pay his overture rent or leave, and he, out of desperation, takes off all of his bandages and clothes and literally disappears into the night. Griffin makes Thomas Marvel a tramp a migrant worker, his assistant, but Marvel rats him out to the police and Griffin runs away again. On the run once again, Griffin meets Dr. Kemp, someone he knows from medical school. Griffin tells Kemp about his experiments experiments with invisibility, as well as his current mad plans to terrorise England using his invisibility discovery. However, Kemp realises Griffin has gone mad and gives gives him up to the police. Griffin then breaks through the police line and chases Kemp into town where the locals capture and end up killing Griffin. At the end we find that Marvel has saved Griffin's notes he took from his room in the inn but perhaps thankfully he can't make heads or tails out of them. Yes, uh, quite a a decent summary there, yeah. Um, So uh, we decided to read this over the past couple of weeks and we, some of us um, were better than others at that task. Yes, I hold my hands up. I, um, didn't complete the reading of this particular book. 
Um, so I uh, would like to maybe explain myself. Yeah. On that and one. just remind me, how far did you get in said book, Dr. Toomey? <laughs> well, that'll be telling. And I will tell. It was 20 <laughs> chapters. 20 chapters of the book. And to be honest, I, I was interested at the start. There was a kind of a mystery in this book to me. The, the invisible man arrives into the town and we don't know what, quite what he's doing. Uh, but then it soon becomes apparent that he is invisible. And then I just lost interest after that. It's more of a problem with me and fiction novels in general. Uh, I just have this closed mindedness in my head that tells me this isn't real. This isn't worth your time. You should be off reading about facts and nonfiction. Um, and then it, it became a bit like a chore for me in my head. So there's a part of me that's not open minded to fiction. And I didn't get over this in this uh, this last couple of weeks. Nevertheless, I've read about The Invisible Man and I've, I've researched some of the themes to allow me to discuss it with you. Okay, so um, let's just, uh, for clarification purposes, to anyone who hasn't read it, uh, there are 28 chapters in The Invisible Man, so you're only eight chapters from the finish line, so you weren't too far off the climax of the book, but uh, you planted your flag at chapter 20. <laughs> it seemed like a good kind of chapter to end on. Just 20 chapters. I've done my piece. Um, I mean, it, it's more chapters than I read of some of our Leaving Cert books, for example. <laughs> I think I read maybe one yes. or two chapters of A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, yet wrote a five A4 page uh, exam answer on it and got an A in higher level. <laughs> well, yes, well, this brings me back to school because I've been reading, I've been researching themes of The Invisible Man to discuss with you and writing down notes. <laughs> So I'm 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 good to go. So, what what did you take of it as someone who um, probably enjoyed it a lot more than I did and and went through the whole book? Okay, so um, I finished it today just before the podcast, and I did leave it till the last minute. So I struggled, maybe not as much as you did, but I struggled, and I had an equal kind of outlook on the book as it is a fiction uh, novel. I find it difficult to read fiction as well. Uh, when I was younger, I used to read a lot of fiction. I was When I was very young, I used to read Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton. Then as I got a bit older, I read a lot of horror novels. I read a lot of Goosebumps, uh, Point Horror. Uh, I, remember, I remember reading um, the like I Know What You Did Last Summer, a lot of those classic horror novels from the 70s that were eventually turned into films in the 90s and the early 2000s. Um, and then, then, like you stated there, I progressed on to non-fiction, uh, mainly autobiographies, uh, some factual books, and generally my curiosity is always um, drawn, like I'm always more interested and driven to read non-fiction, uh, factual things. I can spend hours poring over Wikipedia pages, get in... Um, Kind of go down a rabbit hole of a topic and then open a new tab and open a new tab and open a new tab and have like 30, 30 tabs open on my phone that I want to read about. Uh, same with articles to have linked articles um, and I'm sure you're the same. So for the last decade or maybe decade and a half, I've been um, solely interested with one or two exceptions in nonfiction. So this book, to be frank, while I enjoyed it, it was a chore. It was a chore to get through. Mm. Yeah. Well, could I ask you just about that? Like, because uh, I, I think about that as, as well about um, fiction books. Why do you think it is that, that like, we could like fictional films or movies? Well, like, they're the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but like, you can see, you can like fiction in other areas. You can like art, all these things. Why is it that, like, when it comes to reading that uh, people just turn off from fiction or people like us turn off from fiction? Well, I find the film has a huge advantage over a book in that it can present to you in one scene 
who a character is, what they're about, and the surroundings. So they don't need to go into descriptive passages about what people look like. They don't need to go into long, adjective-laden um, depictions of what a landscape looks like. They don't need to uh, set the scene, because the scene sets the scene, and it's right in front of your eyes. You can hear, you can see um, everything that the author of the book maybe wanted to convey to you, but had to take 15 pages to potentially convey. Whereas a film has you has one up on a book immediately. Uh, I find reading descriptions of things kind of tiresome um, in a novel because it's just, it, it can be a bit overbearing. It's like, uh, you know, describing how a person looks or describing maybe what their motivations are um, or describing what a physical landscape looks like or lots of just like I, I, I mentioned to you I found it difficult to make out the action scenes in this book there's a scene where he's escaping from the coach and horses and there's a bit of a melee and a lot of people are running around and getting knocked over and getting knocked down and you lose track of the people's names like these are people who've only been introduced maybe in the previous chapter or in that chapter and you're supposed to remember and account uh, a laundry list of all these characters who are really insignificant in the book but they can only address the characters by name names they've only just been given yeah. uh, yet in a film you might not need to know these people's names because you can see the action unfolding on the screen and in the yeah. book, in a book, I find it hard to follow things like that. Like, so I, I found Stephen yeah. King novels can be quite similar. I've read a few of those in recent years, and there's always a, a litany of characters. Like, there might be twelve main characters, and sometimes each. There's a part of you goes after, after fuck's sake. There's another another character. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, and then like sometimes you might not meet that character again for 10 or 11 chapters and you're supposed to remember them and their name and their motivations and everything. And mm. I, I find novels can be quite difficult like that to fully grasp. Yeah. And sometimes I just go, ah, oh, fuck off. Like, it's, it's, you know, you're just kind of not arsed. You're like, and, and like back to what you said earlier, this is not real. Why am I wasting my time with this? Uh, but <laughs> but I, wonder, I wonder, like, sorry to cut across you there. It's just like that's the difference between like a movie and a, f- a fictional uh, book. But with nonfiction, you and I seem to not mind taking the time to like get into the details, think about the facts, research it a bit more. Like I'm reading a book about um, Bitcoin at the moment and the first few chapters are just about the history of money. And I'm like, like just more much more interested in taking my time with that and going back to that. I I think I'm just much more interested to read factual stuff, whereas watching stuff, watching movies, I'm not really into documentaries that much. Um, I don't really understand it myself, <laughs> but uh, um, yeah. I quite I quite like documentaries. But it would have to be on a topic that I probably am previously interested in, or something that's kind of grip gripping, like making a murder or something like that. But um, yeah, I just I just have that division when I'm reading. It's just like um, nonfiction only, and if it's fiction, it's it's like it just doesn't do it for me. It's like I don't know. It's just I just can't connect with it. I d- I don't really know why it's like that. I've never really read novels. Um, so I think that all kind of came back to me reading this. It was kind of like trying to open myself up to reading this novel. Um, and yeah, just being reminded of the reasons why I don't read. Yeah. Like, but uh, I'm yeah. similar. Yeah, I, I find it hard to connect, engage with characters in a novel. Now, some there are some exceptions to that. Um, I, I attempted to read a book. Somebody I used to work with recommended a book called uh, Men Without Women by an author called Murakami. Uh, he's a well-known author of like, several collections of short stories and novellas and um, I think maybe some actual novels as well and um, because it was a short story collection it appealed to me more and because I knew I was in it for the short haul rather than the long haul I could engage with it and I could get into it and I read the first short story and I was captivated by it and it was very interesting but 
the minute it came to the first page of the second short story, I gave up. <laughs> I, was like, I, I didn't have it in me to read short story number two, I, I, let alone short story number seven. So I, I, I read one short story from a collection of short stories, and perhaps I'll return to it at some point, but it, it was enough for me. Like, but I knew I because it was a short story, I was able to engage with it a bit more because I knew I wasn't, it wasn't going to keep me for too long. Yeah, it was going to end soon. Yeah. It was doable. And I think plots plots in books, I mean, this is a generalization, but um, plots in films and plots in books can follow a, a kind of a structure where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end where factual books and biographies, there's just, a, there's just a, an account of facts and factual uh, happenings. So they're not trying to introduce you and then have an action-y sequence and then wrap it all up at the end in a factual book because it's actually just an account of things that happened or it's uh, mm. somebody's thoughts about a, a scientific topic or it's mm. somebody telling you about the history of money or whatever so th- they're not const- you can sort of dip in and dip out exactly they're not constrained by the structure that's expected of a fictional work um, because they, yeah. they, they're not confined by it and you're not expected to remember the character from chapter 11 that's coming back in chapter 19 exactly it's less work yeah it's less commitment exactly so okay, but anyway, yeah. Instead of just anyway, Invisible Man. Yeah. Instead of burying the concept of uh, novels, maybe we should discuss one that we both recently read, <laughs> which is, which is close-minded of us. Let's yeah. let's be open now to the Invisible Man, <laughs> which we we summarised the plot about ten minutes ago, <laughs> um, making our listener putting them in the position that we've just described ourselves reading novels. But, in. but it's good to go through all of this because this is the very reason why this topic was on our list because we don't read novels. We certainly don't read sci-fi novels. And like sci-fi is a genre that kind of gets, um, it's like not as respected, let's say, as um, other genres of fiction. Um, it it, it kind of might be, people might look down their nose a bit at sci-fi. I might return to that point. Because I think we need to get into this book. And, yeah, we probably should. And uh, at least talk about it a bit. Okay, so I will start. Um, I thought the opening of the book was fascinating. Um, you've got this character. You know, the, you know the character is an invisible man. It's the title of the book, right? But you're, you're waiting for that to materialize. So he arrives in this uh, coach and horses, this kind of inn um, back in the late 1890s. And... Uh, he, they set the scene very well. He's bandaged up. He has sunglasses covering his eyes. He has a fake nose of some sort or a prosthetic nose or something. He's wearing a hat. He's wearing a long uh, trench coat. His collar's up around his neck. He's completely concealed his identity. And it's not apparent to you why he's invisible, but you know he is invisible. And you're kind of reading the descriptions of how the author has let the reader in on, on how he's dressed. And you're thinking, how do the people in the inn not just immediately freak out and think there's something terribly wrong but then the landlady um mrs hall you get to see a lot of what she's thinking because the it's told from the third person perspective so you can see the thoughts of the characters in the novel um and she thinks he must have been badly disfigured uh he maybe he was burned or something like that so there's a lot of mystery a lot of um uncertainty around the first chapter or first couple of chapters and it's very intriguing. You're wondering, where is this going to go? Uh, we've already established this guy's invisible. He showed up at an inn. And um, it, it probably won't be too long before they work it out as well, I was thinking to myself, because immediately he was raising all sorts of red flags with his behavior and things like that. 
Yeah, and it's a yeah, it's a very mysterious opening to it. Uh, like people start start to get wind of oh, there's this weird man in in in, their, in his room. He's moving around his room with his bottles, and he has deliveries coming in there, and he never comes out of his room, and we never get a kind of good sight of him and what he looks like. And it started that sort of the mystery of of the invisible man sort of slowly changes into hysteria or kind of panic in the village, and they're kind of they they sort of need to know what he's doing rather than being sort of curious about it so that that was a kind of an interesting drift into kind of a panic about him yeah um and i actually found it quite interesting that um the woman who uh, initially felt sorry for him and thought he must have been burnt and all um she her curiosity um eventually got the better of her but she at one point uh assumed he must have been burned or in some kind of accident and i actually thought the first few chapters were quite funny when she was hinting at um him being burned or in being in some sort of accident and she kind of told some anecdote of someone else who was in an accident hoping he'd reveal himself but we got we got a sense then of his abruptness his rudeness towards other people he keeps them at, at a great distance he doesn't let anybody in his abruptness or his rudeness is kind of a tool he uses to keep people at arm's length yeah yeah and he's kind of like he's he's kind of he's isolated in, in a way uh, because of how he keeps people at arm's length and he's isolated then as we as the novel goes on we learn that he's invisible so kind of isolation how he is kind of alone as an invisible man becomes apparent um, but I guess it's kind of like the interest in the invisible man increases and then they start going into his personal space really they, they try to kind of invade what he's doing in his room and he's somebody who wants to keep people at arm's length and that leads to a kind of an inevitable conflict between him and the the, the village. Um, well, he's got to the point you touched on it earlier, where he hasn't been paying his bills, and then anytime anything goes wrong, he kind of just throws some money at Mrs. Hall. He throws them a few extra quid or a crown or whatever it was, and uh, hopes that will sort the issue. But then he gets even like he gets um, to the point where he's not even doing that. He's not not paying them at all, and he gets behind on his bill, and then. The, one of the pivotal scenes or pivotal passages of the book is where they come in to confront him about his unpaid bills and he starts revealing himself um, to them and showing off the fact that he is invisible. Um, then kind of later on in the book, um, he well, he eventually has to escape where he's living because it's not working out for him anymore and they the townsfolk are coming over and they're invading his personal space Um and he's become somewhat famous in the town. He's he's become somewhat well known, and people have been talking. Word has been spreading, and he he basically has to leave and go on the run. And I found the my interest in the book went downhill around this point. I I found I was rapidly losing interest as the mystery started to unfold to the point where it wasn't mysterious at all. Um, I mean, you don't find out until later on that he's working on a a cure for his invisibility. But I found the whole being on the run, um, hiding around in the town, uh, getting the tramp to carry those books and all that type of stuff. I was just, I was just Frolic- frolicking around the town. He's frolicking around the town for about <laughs> ten or twelve chapters. <laughs> yeah, and he's like breaking windows and stuff. He's doing like stuff for no reason. Like he's assaulting people. Yeah, then eventually he kills people. And, and like stuff. he he had all of these like. Um, quirks early on in the novel that made him seem interesting and maybe dark and there was a lot going on there but but it turns out that he's kind of just an asshole he is an asshole and uh, <laughs> yeah and, and like I thought it was quite um, I thought the character 
was quite thin towards the end. Like it's like it reminded me of the Simpsons episode where the elephant keeps headbutting Homer and he's like the man in the zoo or whatever fuck it is was like and some of them mr simpson of course are just jerks <laughs> like we can't explain their behavior but he's just an asshole and he, he just started doing dickish things like he's breaking into people's houses he's stealing money from them um he's assaulting people he's making the tramp his slave um mr marvel um he has a plan we find out later on he has a plan to terrorize the town to kill people if necessary um to basically be some kind of dictator and make the world bow to him um, and his invisibility. And it's like, it kind of escalates pretty quickly. Like at the start, he's, he's mildly abrupt to the landlady of the coaching horse. Slightly horses. rude, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's a megalomaniac and his ego is running wild. Like it just, I, I, I kind of thought it was, I thought there'd be more to it than that. I thought... Yeah, there, there isn't a strong uh, premise for that or reason for him being like that. Now, the only thing I will say is that they obviously do touch on the fact that he's an albino. It's mentioned in passing a couple of times. And one can surmise that his reason for wanting to become invisible was because he must have been so visible as an albino uh, with the white hair and the pink kind of terrible skin. Um, everybody, he must have stuck out so much in a crowd that everybody noticed him. And maybe the reason he wanted to become invisible was because that made sure that no one would ever notice him again. And he could do whatever he wanted without being the butt of people's jokes or without being stared at or without being um, the, the person that just stood out from the crowd all the time. So, I mean, I think that's a fairly obvious conclusion to jump to. But the megalomania and the, the terrorism and the killing people and the stealing, it's, it's a bit yeah. too far, too far of a bridge for it, me. Like. Yeah, it's a bit of a jump. Yeah, there, there's also stuff in there about um, his distant relationship with his father that is touched upon in, in later chapters and also how he was a scientist and he was very competitive in ter- in, in regards to uh, publishing his papers and he was like hiding his evidence and his findings from other scientists because he thought they'd publish it. So he was kind of isolated professionally, isolated from his father. But I got, like all that's kind of understandable and he's the albino and all that. But it doesn't really explain the jump to being a megalomaniac who's bringing down a reign of ter- terror yeah. on the town and killing everyone. Yeah, I am. Like, it's just too quick or something. Like, it, it just and it, flips. It is a novella, so it's it's shorter than a novel. Like So I, it does have to move at a bit of a faster pace, but it, it ex- escalated quite quickly once he left the coaching horses for me, and he kind of just turned into a dickhead. And I wasn't sure if I was supposed to empathize with him or not. It was, is he the protagonist or the antagonist? I wasn't quite sure. It was difficult to tell what the author wanted you to think of him. Um, or maybe he didn't want you to think anything. Were you supposed to feel sorry for him and relate to him? Or were you supposed to be appalled by what he was doing? Maybe there was a bit of a Walter White theme there where initially you were on side with him and you were like, yeah, go make the drugs and make a living and be a gangster. And then all of a sudden he starts killing people. You're like, Jesus Christ, that's a bit much. So maybe there was that. Maybe it was like a Breaking Bad type thing. Mm, but like a very quick Breaking Bad kind of. And that is a wonderful way to summarize that book. <laughs> I don't I don't really have too much to, I, to add to that. No, I don't have too much to add either. Yes. 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 So that is The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells. Woohoo. Great. So there we go. That's like, uh, like uh, we did something new. Uh, you enjoyed it more than I did. 
I, but we both are now talking about it and that's kind of the point of this podcast is to go and do new things see how we got on with it and generate kind of new stuff for our friendship yes and it did get us talking and it did get me thinking uh, anyway about some aspects of the story I, I don't think it was as densely layered a story as I would have hoped for um, I, like there weren't maybe I mean maybe if I, I studied it in school or college I would be opened up to the idea that there was a lot of subplots that I didn't realize. I'm not sure, but to me, it didn't seem like there was a lot of subplots going on. Like in the age of um, excellently written TV shows being ten a penny, where there's subplots and uh, all sorts of character motivations and really intriguing story arcs, um, a book from the 1890s maybe just doesn't cut it as much anymore. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, you're asking a lot for for books from the 1890s to be up to the level of like breaking bad or something but of course like that's just, when uh, that's when a lot of the classic books that still stand up today were written so so I, I did have high expectations but it didn't quite meet my expectations i expected a bit more from the invisible man the invisible man <laughs> okay and why don't you tell the listener what we're going to do next time well listener we are going to go out and do something out in the world <laughs> yeah so so a part of openness is kind of being open to the aesthetically pleasing. So this is when you're kind of deeply inspired by beauty in the arts, music, poetry or nature. And we're going to focus on the last part of that. And that's being open to nature. And this weekend, myself and Professor T, the Laurel to my Hardy, the Ant to my deck, the Trump to my Boris Johnson. He is going to go with me on a trip to nature and we're going to go for the Hoth Cliff Walks, which is something we've both never done before. I've never even been to Hoth, uh, would you believe? You've never, I've been, never to been to Hoth? And I've lived in Dublin for 33 years. Ah, ah, heel, <laughs> leave it out. Yes. So no, we could go to Hoth afterwards. We could go for a little pint or a lunch afterwards. Hold on a second now. You said Hoth Cliff, cliff Walk, so is that not in Hoth? Um, sorry, I was talking about the Hoth, like the village. Oh yeah, okay, sorry. So you, but I've never even been to Hoth, the place, cliffs or no cliffs. Uh, excellent. So we'll do the cliff walks, which I've never done. I've been to the village, so that won't count. Um, so we'll have to, you know, pretend we didn't do that or okay. something. No, we won't. We won't. Uh, we'll do. We both. won't document anything from the village. We'll just document it from the cliffs. <laughs> so just to, for my thoughts on that, I uh, I don't think I've ever done a cliff walk either. So what's that? Just walking along the side of a cliff face, um, basically. I believe so. Like I think the Hoth cliff walks. I don't know about you, but it's something I've heard a lot of people talk about over the years. Uh, I'm going on the Hoth cliff walks. And I kind of know what it is, but at the same time, I don't know what it is. I don't know how scary it is. I don't know what the, the, the walkway looks like. So I kind of like that. Like, like we're going there to, to discover something. Okay, uh, just to clarify, we don't require any rock climbing equipment such as carabiners or anything like that, do we? No carabiners, yeah. Okay. Show me your carabiner. Right. <laughs> um... But I would encourage uh, anybody who's listening um, to get out in nature this week. Even if you can't do the Hoth Cliff Walks, do something nice in nature. Experience nature. Do something new in nature. Go to a, a mountain or a lake or a part of the country you've never been to before and get in tune with the beauty of nature. Or even better, like what we're doing, go somewhere that's on your doorstep, it's in your back garden that you've never been before and appreciate it for what it is. Nice one. Yeah. Okay. Even some people haven't been, haven't been to the Phoenix Park. Maybe something like that. or And try and do it with a friend as well. Yes, exactly. Well, Share your experience. If you want to. Because uh, 
as we found reading the invisible man a shared invisible man is better than an invisible man all to yourself yes indeed we can both share the view of the invisible man i was hoping a pun of some sort would come to me while i was saying that but it just didn't (laughs) you said it confidently enough that it sounded like it was happening. knock knock who's there it's the invisible man tell him i can't see him (laughs) okay i I will (laughs) please do and he's he's gone he's telling me he's going on a reign of terror all right okay well that, that was unexpected yeah there's no there's no character development in this guy yeah. Anyway, okay. So that's going to do it for this episode of Open Us, the podcast about openness to new experiences. Next time, we're going to be talking about our cliff walk that we did in Hoth. We hope you'll join us in a nature based activity and give us your feedback on The Invisible Man if you read it or our thoughts on The Invisible Man. And we'll see you next time. Stay open. If you'd like to contact us on social media ahead of next week's task, Search for us on Twitter, it's at Open Us Podcast. On Facebook, it's also Open Us Podcast. On Instagram, it's Open Us Podcast. And via email, it's openuspodcast at gmail.com. 